0: God hates racism. How do I know that? Listen to this passage from Proverbs 6. There are six things that God hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Man, if that isn't a definition of racism, I don't know what is. And scripture here, Solomon points out that God clearly, and he uses the word hate, hates that above all else. That type of behavior, racism, at its core, breaks the heart of God. And so God works against it. Racism, racism is a toxic mix of, of darkness and, and brokenness and ultimately death, especially the death of, of relationship. It's arrogant, built on lies, damaging, conniving, evil, divisive. It, it, comes, it pours right out of that passage from Proverbs 6. Ultimately, it seems to me the, the reason that racism breaks God's heart is because it tears at the the dream for humanity for you and me that he had from the very beginning. Life as it was intended to live, a life of freedom, of peace, of joy, of purpose, a life marked by the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, a life in a deep relationship with him, the God who created us and with each other, you and, and me. Despite our differences, differences shouldn't matter in the kingdom of God. And a kingdom life is really what God's dream was for you and for me. With God's son, Jesus, as king. Jesus, the king full of grace and truth. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, the light of the world, fixing the broken, bringing the dead back to life. A life so that we can live with him and with each other in harmony. Now last week, Jeff used one verse, Galatians three twenty-eight, to describe what that life in the kingdom, what a kingdom life would look like. And especially given the struggles we in America have had. That's what we've been addressing over these last few weeks in this series we've been sharing together. And even in the church, it exists. Jeff shared some ways that he personally reached out across uh, the American racial divide, how he personally has done that to help bring about that kingdom. And he ended with sort of an uh, 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 an implied question, sort of a question without actually asking the question. And it was this. This is what I read into it at the end. It's, so what about us? What can we do to usher in this God-sized dream for his kingdom to come. And so this morning, I want to pick up where Jeff left off last week. And to do that, I, I want to take a look at an example in the New Testament. And there are many. In fact, I've included a, a second one in the back of the bulletin this morning. Give that a read. It, it very much parallels, also out of the book of the Acts, the one the story I'm about to share with you. Where two men... One in particular, but really both crossed a serious racial and cultural divide, and in so doing, the kingdom of God was advanced. This is one of my favorite stories. It's taken out of the book of the Acts, and it's about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 8. We're not going to read it right now. I'm just going to skim through quickly, kind of give you the cliff notes of what that story is. And I'd really like for you to go and read this one. Also, the other one that I list in the back of the bullet and read them both this afternoon. Philip, the evangelist, was a deacon, a preacher. And most importantly, he was a man that listened to the Spirit of God. And so in Acts 8, 26, he was doing exactly that. He was listening to the Spirit in prayer when an angel of the Lord came to him and told him, go to a specific spot in the desert. And with no further instruction, uh, Philip did exactly that. He took off. And there in the desert, he encountered, as Luke describes, an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the queen of Ethiopia's money. He was sitting in his chariot. The chariot was on the move, and he was reading. The spirit met Philip in the desert and said, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, the chariot, it was a chariot was on the move, and Philip didn't hesitate. You can just sort of picture the story of him just running up to the chariot and running along with the chariot. And so there he is, running along, and and he was close enough to hear the Ethiopian man read. And what he was reading from was from Isaiah. Well, there's Philip running along, and he he asked, probably kind of winded like, do you understand what you're reading, sir? The Ethiopian said, no, I don't. Uh, if there was someone to explain it, I would love it. So the Ethiopian invites, invites Philip up into the chariot with him. And just picture that. These two men from different universes in every way sitting there sharing a moment together. A moment that would change the life of the Ethiopian forever. Forever. And, and you get this picture of essence, and again, please read this story for yourself this afternoon, that Philip didn't push. Like he trusted the spirit to guide it along, and really it was the Ethiopian that guided the conversation. That's the way to do it. Not be pushy as you cross into someone else's space, especially someone that has very little in common with who you are. The Spirit directed the conversation. The Ethiopian directed the conversation. And in the end, the Ethiopian gave his life to Christ. It's an incredible story. One that is repeated again and again in Scripture and again and again in history. And passing along some water... uh, the the Ethiopian saw out there and and had heard about baptism and asked to be baptized on the spot. Stops a chariot, they go down into the water, and the baptism happens right there and right then. I mean, picture that story. As different two men, as different as they could possibly be. Different countries, different socioeconomic situations, different paths, moving in different directions, different races, different family situations, connecting for a moment by the Spirit of God around the Word of God, a connection which in the end changed, again, the Ethiopian's life forever. A connection like that supersedes division. Even the racial divide that we are so obsessed with, and rightly so, it is It is incredible in America that divide still exists or existed in the first place. And yet, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, even that divide can be bridged. And man, when that happens, fasten your seatbelt. You know, the advancement of the kingdom of God is on the horizon when that happens. Now, in this story, there are some Some themes. And really these themes are echoed also in the other one. Again that I listed in your bulletin this morning. They are foundational. They are applicable these themes are. It would seem to me. As we go forward here. First. The kingdom of God is inclusive. Not exclusive. The pursuit of the kingdom. Brings us together. It supersedes. The kingdom does. Those things that divide us. Including race. Second. The kingdom of God is spirit-directed. It's built on prayer. It's built on the word of God. You see that again and again happening. When prayer happens, when the word of God is opened, unity happens. The the kingdom is built. Opportunity arises. And it did for Philip and, and the Ethiopian. And they stepped through that. It was built that moment around the word of God. Third, the kingdom of God is dynamic. It is not static. It is not same old, same old. The kingdom of God is on the move. Renewal and change is the kingdom's middle name. Thy kingdom come forth. The kingdom of God is attractive. People are hungry for it. You know, we have nothing to be apologetic for. It is so simple what ministry is. People are hungry for the kingdom. The Ethiopian was... Um, and again and again in the book of the Acts and throughout Scripture, you see that. You see that all around us. Fifth, the kingdom of God is something that we get to participate in, especially the coming of it. We get to help usher it in. But that requires a response on our part. It's not something, the kingdom of God, that we can just stick our toe in and, and, and have as a hobby. It's something that we must enter fully into, like a river, like, like get in. One writer puts it this way. Our response must be to come alongside a world that is searching for God's truth and help them understand what God is doing. And how do we do that, especially here in our incredibly polarized America in which we've built and live in, where men and women, black and white, Republican and Democrat, young and old, rich and poor, are so we are so very divided. Listen, even in a super polarized country like ours, we dare to believe that Jesus' prayer for us will be fulfilled. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Right here on earth, as it already is in heaven. Dr. Martin Luther King dared to believe that. He embraced God's dream for his kingdom to come. He understood what the kingdom of God was all about and he worked to help usher it in. And he gave a name to it. I've loved this name. He gave a name to his take as a pastor on what the kingdom of God was all about. He called it the Beloved Community. The beloved community. And and here's how he describes it. The end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is the type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. This type of love that I stress here is not eros, a sort of aesthetic or romantic love. Not philea a sort of reciprocal love between personal friends, but it is agape, an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. Agape is the love of God, working in the lives of men and women. This is the love that has the power to be the salvation of our whole civilization. For King, the answer is the creation of the beloved community the kingdom of God, where agape rules supreme, where we live our lives safe and secure under the protection of the Lord, belonging to him, belonging to each other. Everyone wanted, everyone accepted, everyone needed, everyone pursued. That was King's dream, and I believe it's God's dream for us. In the beginning, God had big dreams. Dreams for us. It's why he created us, to have a relationship with him and with each other. It's how it was intended to be. The bad news is, is that through sin, we've destroyed and damaged greatly that dream. The good news is that through Christ, the Holy Spirit has and is restoring that dream. All is not lost. There is hope. And it's found in Christ. Scripture, history are full of examples of the Holy Spirit raising up and calling men and women to be part of that restoration process. To become nothing less than than kingdom warriors as they cross all dividing lines, including the racial divide here in America in the pursuit of nothing less than the beloved community, the kingdom of God. And sometimes that call, that pursuit, that work costs a person his or her freedom. Like it did for Fannie Lou Hammer, who was threatened, shot at, arrested, and assaulted while attempting to register to vote in Mississippi back in the day. She refused to quit or back down, and she used hymns and scripture verses As her only weapon. Like Rosa Parks. Who would not move to the back of the bus. Like like John Perkins. Who with a Bible and guts stood up against racism and preached the gospel. Ending up in jail nearly beaten to death. Like Joan Mulholland. Who as a young girl could have turned a blind eye down in Jackson, Mississippi, but refused to and paid a high price, physically accosted, arrested, jailed. Like Ed King, a Methodist pastor who had it made down in Mississippi, who, who refused to go along with the religious establishment in Jackson, standing with young people, taking a stand. He ended up getting beaten and jailed. Hammer, Parks, Perkins, Mulholland, King, scores of others, especially young people, paying a high price for being part of the coming of the kingdom, which included for them taking a stand against the evil of racism. Now, for others who would dare take such a stand, the call resulted in death, like Medgar Evers, a young man with a wife and little kids the head of the Mississippi NAACP, living in Jackson. A man with a target on his back literally was shot dead in his driveway in front of his family late one evening. Like Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner, James Cheney, three college kids who in 1964 were activists in what became known as Freedom Summer. After being arrested for a minor traffic offense, they were let go they were followed, they were stopped, and the three were shot dead and buried in a common grave. And finally, of course, like Dr. Martin Luther King. And we all know his story, a story whose end came exactly 50 years ago this year. So, what about you? And what about me? What are some practical ways that you and I can enter into the Holy Spirit-led kingdom-building journey that must include, among many other things, a bridging of the racial divide in America? Well, here's some ideas. Maybe, maybe a sort of like to-do list. You might pick a few of these. A bucket list, if you will. First, foremost, be open to the Spirit. Stay close to the to Him. I can't tell you how to do that, but do that. And here's my story real quick. I grew up in suburban Minneapolis which, with a bunch of Swedish and Norwegian farmers. And one day, I, I was sitting in my seminary, a Swedish Baptist seminary, minding my own business, drinking some coffee. And I'll tell you, it was, it was one of the few times it was like God grabbed me by the back of the neck and just took me downstairs to the lower part of this lounge. I had heard about some people on campus. And there they were. They were talking with people and interviewing people. Long and short of it, the, the next thing I knew, I had packed up my Chevy Chevette and was on my way down for a year in South Chicago. And if you know Chicago, I was like on 68th, um, just off the Dan Ryan in Inglewood. Google Englewood. And you'll see it's one of the most dangerous uh, zip codes in the world currently and it was back then as well in this incredibly racially divided um, Chicago, South Chicago. I, I can remember kids coming up to me during my year there where I studied urban ministry where I worked in a local church. I, I remember one time a little kid came up just I didn't even know this kid it was on the street and touched my arm. I don't think he had ever seen up front uh, in personal a white guy. Um, I had another kid come up to me and look at me. I didn't know this little kid. And, and I'm walking down the street, and he goes, Mr., he looked at me in my eyes, and he goes, Mr., are you the devil? And and I, I go, no. And I, I had no idea what he was talking about, and I was talking to my some of my friends later, and they go, oh, oh, oh yeah, uh, Malcolm X would teach that. That kid had heard that from from somewhere, the blue-eyed White people are literally the devil. It was such an eye-opening year for me. I would have never chosen it. And I remember as I was driving out of Chicago after that year, asking God, like, what was that all about? You know, am I called to be an urban pastor? And all these years later, I see why he did that. You know, and it came from me just kind of being close to him and him calling me out. First, be open to the Spirit. Stay close to him. And do what he tells you. Second, visit a church that's racially different from yours. It's been said that the most segregated hour in America is on Sunday morning. And as Christians, um, we just head to predominantly uh, uh, one church or the other, black, white, Asian, that's so similar to us. This summer, grab some friends and find a church that especially is racially different than yours. And, And pick one around here. But if you want to go down and make a day of it in Philly, one I highly recommend is called Deliverance Church up in North Philly, up by Temple, up where the Phillies baseball stadium used to be, Connie Mack Stadium. Whenever we go to Philly with our junior high kids, we always go to this church. And when you go, don't go as an observer. Go as a participant and and get ready. It's an amazing (laughs) church. Third, Read one of the books that Jeff has suggested along with this series. And, and two in particular, these two books we've been reading, we've read and discussed and met over as adult leaders about to go down to Jackson, Mississippi, the Roadmap to Reconciliation by Brenda Salter McNeil, and John Perkins' autobiography, Let Justice Roll Down. Fourth, confront racism. When, whenever you count it personally and in, in your own space, when you encounter racism, step up, have some guts, and challenge it. Here's an example. My sweet, wonderful, gracious, wouldn't hurt a flea mom, one time we were down on, on an island down down in the Caribbean, and we had rented this space and befriended this family from the deep south, and, and they were over drinking a lemonade with us, and and at one point, this the man of this other family, who was the mayor of a small town in like Alabama or wherever, um, started saying the most vile, racist things. I, I I I can't even allude to what he was saying. And and my mom looked at him, and she I mean this, if you knew my mom, she steps up in front of this huge guy and she goes, sir. This is my house. And no one talks like that in my house. Get out. Like right in his face. And this big burly guy looks at her. And what could he say? He turned around. When you hear it, confront it. And not on the internet. That's, that's like nonsense. Like when it comes into your personal space. Fifth. And finally. Train up, equip, support, and send your kids into the good fight into kingdom building activity and you know what, church, you have been about that in the in the many, many, many years that i've been part here, and we 're about to do that church. you are about to send in less than a week sixty four of your children down to Jackson, Mississippi to live out exactly what we've been talking about for the past four weeks. And may we continue to be about that. May we step in and be kingdom warriors in the days ahead. May God's kingdom come here on earth as it already is in heaven. And may it include everyone in Christ's name. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the fact that your kingdom is on the move. That your kingdom, as splendorous as it is in heaven, is on the move right here on earth. And we, we praise you for what you're doing. And we intend to step into what you're doing. And we pray for our team going to Jackson. The 10 adults, the 64 students, that you would protect them you would use them that you would build into them opportunities for your kingdom to be advanced and god we pray for the many ministries that we'll be intersecting with while we're there we love you and we love what you're about in christ's name amen